We're going to start reading just a little bit earlier than what your, your bulletin uh, says, although that, uh, the bulletin will reflect what the focus of the sermon will be. We're going to start reading as early as, as verse 18. So chapter 18, verse 18, we're going to read to 19, chapter 7. And let's stand out of respect for the reading of God's inspired word. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Kincrae, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow and they came to Ephesus and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer period, he declined, but on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. (coughs) When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. We're back in the book of Acts. Feels like it's been been a while, but really um, this text brings us right back into the drama, right back into uh, the story, the true story of King Jesus as he sends forth his disciples on mission to send the good news of the gospel throughout the whole world. That's really what the whole book of Acts is about. The book of Acts is about Uh, Jesus, King Jesus, on the move. And there really isn't any place in the book of Acts where you just get to kind of stop and say, oh, the action stopped. It just keeps moving and moving and moving uh, because King Jesus never stops moving. And though he sits on the right hand of his Father in heaven, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit who he's poured out, Jesus is active. And we see that activity in our text. Um, I gave you just a, a sampling 
this text gives us just a sampling of what's happening at this time. But really, uh, in, this, in this short text alone, you have Paul coming to the end of his second missionary journey. And then he's, he's starting his third missionary journey in, cha- in uh, chapter 18, verse 23. And then you see him going from city to city. He, he goes from uh, Corinth to Kenkrae to Caesarea. And then he's going back to the churches. And then in the meantime, you have uh, uh, Paul uh, switching off uh, roles uh, in Ephesus. And, and here comes Priscilla and Aquila taking over there. And then you have Apollos introduced. And then all of a sudden, you've got these uh, Paul coming back to Ephesus and uh, preaching the gospel to these 12 Um, disciples of John the Baptist. And you can barely keep yourself centered on what's going on. I think that's happening because we're being shown here in this text that the Holy Spirit is on the move. And that Pentecost, the good news of Pentecost, doesn't stop after Acts 2. It's really moving um, God's people in all kinds of different directions. And really, the point of this passage, the point of this text If we find a thread that weaves through it, it's that Pentecost moves us as well. Pentecost moves us from all the places where we're stuck. And it moves us to a more vibrant understanding of Jesus. And it moves us from waiting to being empowered and active by the Holy Spirit. So really, this text is a good one to get us back into the book of the action of the book of Acts. I want us to consider two test cases of how the Holy Spirit takes, uh, takes individuals who are stuck and moves them forward into a more vibrant understanding and experience of the salvation of the Lord Jesus. And those two test cases are, are first Apollos and second, I'll call them the Ephesian dozen, these 12 disciples of John the Baptist in Ephesus. And, and as we study them, we're really going to, to see <coughs> that we too, are meant by this text to be moved along, moved along in the Christian faith, moved along from disciples who are waiting and perhaps even stuck in a mindset um, to to having um, full empowerment and activity by the Holy Spirit. Well, notice, first of all, this disciple Apollos and what happens with him. Uh, There's some, some really strong words used to describe him. Apollos is described as mighty in the scriptures. Mighty in the scriptures. Isn't that a wonderful way to describe a preacher of God? It, it, it's something that I would hope that you would aspire uh, uh, that would be said of you. That you're mighty in the scriptures, mighty in God's word. He's also called fervent in spirit. He's called instructed in the way of the Lord. And Apollos, the picture we're given of him, we're not uh, told much of him in the New Testament, but the little we are told of him He's just this powerful preacher who, who, who comes in and the Lord has specially gifted him um, to proclaim God's word in such a way that, that the Old Testament scriptures bring us to the foot of the feet of Jesus and show that connection. In fact, some people in, in the church have proposed that Apollos is the man who, who, uh, who preached and then who put into writing the book of, of Hebrews. And to that, I'll give a, a strong maybe. We don't know. We don't know because the scriptures don't say it. But when we read the book of Hebrews, uh, it's 
It's not a surprise that people would think of Apollos because the way that Hebrews takes the Old Testament scriptures and really um, brings them to the foot of the cross and, and points to the resurrection is the kind of thing that is described of Apollos' ministry. A man mighty in the scriptures. But when we first meet him, as he comes from Alexandria, Egypt, that, that learned place, that place of a thousand libraries, he comes to Ephesus And he's kind of stuck. He's stuck. He's limited because he only knows about the baptism of John the Baptist. Now, what would this be like? This would be like receiving a tutorial, a getting started class, but you're never really brought into uh, the, 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 the thing as it gets going. You'll see what I mean in a moment. Imagine that you are Priscilla and Aquila and you've arrived in Ephesus. Um, you've been on the move uh, doing ministry with the Apostle Paul. And the first thing you do when you arrive in Ephesus is you head to the synagogue because that's where there are people who believe the scriptures and who need to hear the gospel first. The gospel to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. And when you arrive at the synagogues, you're introduced to a preacher and that preacher has, is, is traveling and he's come to Ephesus. <coughs> His name is Apollos. And you hear him as he preaches boldly the word. And what is he saying? He's, he's saying, you all need to wake up. Now is the time to repent. Stop trusting in your own works. You need to get ready for the Lord. He's coming. He's sending his Messiah. And as you hear him, uh, he, he, he goes to perhaps even Isaiah 53 and unpacks how the, how the Savior must come who is going to suffer and die for sinners. And then he takes you um, uh, to the end of Isaiah 53, shows you that this Savior must rise again. But then you're waiting uh, with bated breath for him to say, and that Savior's Jesus, but he never says it. He goes as far as John the Baptist is gone. And he says, it's time to repent. It's time to get ready for the Messiah. But you're saying, wait, there's something missing here. Could it be that such a bold preacher, such a preacher gifted by God is actually missing the main point of all this, that John was preparing the way for none other than Jesus, who has come, who has poured out the Holy Spirit. What do you do when you hear Apollos preaching the message of John the Baptist, a message of preparation, but not a message of fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Well, do you stand up and say publicly, hey, he's missing something. He's missing something. No, you do what this, this wise couple does. They invite him over for dinner. They sit down with him. They say, Everything you're preaching, it's right on. But did you know that the Messiah really has come? Did you know that he is none other than Jesus of Nazareth, as John the Baptist himself told us? Did you know he died on a cross? Did you know he rose again? And did you know that he has now poured out the Holy Spirit so that the things which you are proclaiming from the Old Testament have actually come true? We're not just waiting. It's really happened. That's what they do. And Apollos believes. And Apollos embraces what they're doing. And, 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 and he, 
He becomes this preacher who all the more is is proclaiming the fullness of the gospel. It says he is able to now more accurately connect those dots between the suffering servant and the rising savior of the Old Testament to none other than Jesus of Nazareth and the fullness of his ministry. I don't know who excites me more, whether it's Priscilla and Aquila or Apollos. Prisca and Aquila, they they just stand out to me for their helpfulness. Did you notice how the Holy Spirit mobilizes them and moves them to just be incredibly helpful to this preacher? They know that he is going uh, to have this this key position to, to preach good news to all kinds of people. And God has given him the gift, the mouthpiece, to be sharing good news far and wide. And so they invest in him. They don't keep their mouths shut. They don't call him out in this way that's going to push him away. Instead, they do uh, what anyone should do when they're, when they're correcting a pastor. They pull him aside and they sit down with him. And they open the scriptures. In this humble but powerful and bold way. And then you got to think about Apollos, the humility that's demonstrated here. This learned man, this man who is, he's for all intents and purposes, Dr. Apollos. And here he is, and this couple, no more than leather workers, uneducated leather workers, they sit down and he listens to them with this childlike eagerness to receive more of the Messiah more of what John the Baptist was proclaiming, more of Jesus. And Apollos learns the gospel from a woman and her husband. It's beautiful. Soon he's moving on to Corinth, where we hear later from from Paul, he says, praise the Lord that The church I planted in Corinth, when I was gone, the Lord brought in Apollos and he watered that church. He says, I planted and Apollos watered and the Lord is the one that gives the fruit. Now, we see how all these things are intertwining. The helpfulness of Prisca and Aquila, the the humility of Apollos. And all of this is giving us a picture of the Holy Spirit on the move, uh, taking this man who is limited and stuck between the Old and New Testaments, and he's bringing him into the place where now he is perhaps the most powerful preacher in the New Testament. I wonder if the first thing that we should take note of in our application in this passage is this. Friends, we need to follow this model of discipleship. This is how the Holy Spirit moves us. This is how the Holy Spirit causes us to be unstuck in the places where we're, we're at and, and brought into a full, fuller knowledge of Jesus. It's a childlike eagerness to be fed. Are you ready and eager to be fed this year with more of God's word? Or do you think you have it all figured out? We ought to take that posture of Apollo. Say, give me more of Jesus this year, Lord. Feed me more of the scripture. Show me more of the suffering servant in the Old Testament. Show me more of the promise that he would rise again. Show me how this all is fulfilled in Jesus. Show me from the Old Testament how he would pour out his spirit. Show me from the New Testament how he has, in fact, done that. Show me how it changes everything and make me bold to share this good news with others. Friends, we are all learners. 
we need to be humble to open our hearts and grow in our understanding of what Christ has accomplished for us in our, in our salvation. And there's two ways that we can be doing that this upcoming year. First of all, we've got to be in the scriptures like Apollos was in the scriptures. If we aren't in the scriptures, then we shouldn't be surprised when there's a stagnancy. There's a stuckness that pervades our, our Christian lives because the scriptures are what move us along. The spirit moves us by the reading of God's word. And the second thing is community with other believers. That dynamic, that discipleship that we saw between Prisca and Aquila and Apollos. These are not the things that the world prioritizes, but it is the way that the Lord uses to, to cause us to be unstuck where we're at and moved further and further to greater heights and depths of knowledge of Christ Jesus. So you ought to be in the word and you ought to be talking about the word in community with other disciples. And aren't there abundant ways to be doing that in the life of our church? So the Lord shows us Apollos. And just as soon as he shifted Apollos over to Corinth, he brings in a new set of disciples to our view. And we'll call them the Ephesian dozen because there's about 12 of them in all. And the Lord shows how they're moved to greater heights and depths of, of love in Christ. And really they're moved from waiting on a Messiah to actively being empowered by that Messiah. Notice this, that these Ephesian dozen in chapter 19, are really in a similar situation to Apollos. That's why we're, we're, we're seeing them in one sermon. It's because they too are in this weird place in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's where they're stuck. They're stuck in a time warp. It's like 40 years earlier when John the Baptist was, pre was preaching and saying, hey, good news. We're moving from the time of shadows um, and, and promises of the Old Testament to fulfillment of a coming Messiah. And these Ephesian dozen are stuck right there. Here's what's really interesting. You know, I will give you an, an, an analogy of this. In the late 1700s in America, there are reports of men who traveled west but the dangers of the frontier and uh, the weather out there um, in, in, in encounter with Indians uh, drove them into the mountains where they built cabins and stayed there sometimes for 10, 20 years. And the reports of these men are that they came down and they started hearing strange words about a continental Congress and a new republic. And that these men said, we did not even know there was a continental Congress. We did not even know there was such thing as a, as a new republic. We did not know that there is, um, you know, perhaps a, a president, George Washington. What's this all about? A time warp. Men and women stuck in between uh, the events of that, that started off a revolution and the events that brought that revolution to its, to its, uh, uh, it, 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 that gave shape to a new republic. And so in a similar way, what we have here in our passage is disciples who say, what? We did not even know that there was a Holy Spirit. What does that even mean? Well, it seems if they're disciples of John the Baptist, which they were, they would know something of the Holy Spirit because John the Baptist himself spoke of the Holy Spirit. 
He knew of him from the, from the Old Testament. But it seems what they're saying is we did not know that the Holy Spirit has actually come and that's actually happened. And so here's these 12 disciples and they're saying, what? What's happened? The Holy Spirit's been poured out in power? We don't even know how to process these things. Imagine what it would be like, just for for a moment, pause and imagine all you had was the ministry up to the point of John the Baptist. What would you have? Well, you would have repentance, but not revival. You would have expectation of a coming Messiah, but not fulfillment of knowing who he is and what he's done. You would have a promise of a coming spirit, but you, you wouldn't have the power and demonstration of that power. You would be waiting, wondering, hoping, Much like John the Baptist. What does Paul do to bring these disciples from that place that they're stuck in between the Old and New Testaments and give them a shove into the glories of the New Testament? Well, what he does is he preaches Jesus. He preaches Jesus. Look at verse four. He says, you didn't know there was a Holy Spirit Well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. Now, here's what's really important about that. People will take this passage, and they have, and they've actually used it to teach all kinds of strange doctrines. Doctrines like that these men were believers who had the first blessing of knowing Christ, but they did not have the second blessing of the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, people will take this passage, and they'll use it to establish this doctrine of a second blessing theology where you can be a carnal Christian who is forgiven of your sins and walks around believing in Jesus Christ, but until uh, somehow in some mystical moment you're given the Holy Spirit at a later date, then you're not a Christian that has power. And that's entirely wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's based off of this passage, but it's based off, off of a misunderstanding of this passage. It's, it's actually based off of that question where Paul says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, some translations have, did you receive the Holy Spirit since you believed? As if this was a later thing. You believe and then at a later date you receive the Holy Spirit. But really, you, you get into uh, the, the nitty gritty of this passage and it's clear from, uh, from this text that the best translation is Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, at the moment when you believed in Christ? And there's there's no waiting after you believe in Jesus to some at some later date get the power that comes with believing in his name. No, the moment you believe in Jesus, that very moment, you Christians are given everything you need, all the power you need to live the Christian life in the era of gospel fulfillment in the era of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's good news for you today, isn't it? Because sometimes we tend to live as those who are stuck between uh, the, the Old New Testament, you could say. Waiting for a solution for our sins when that solution is already here in Jesus. 
waiting for power over our sins when really you have all the power you need already given you in the Holy Spirit. We aren't to be Christians who are just waiting around for something to happen. We're Christians who have been given power from on high. And the moment you believe in Jesus, you have that power at your possession. Power to say no to sin. Power to have assurance of of pardon through, through Christ. See, the problem with these disciples isn't that they had Jesus, but not the Holy Spirit. The problem with these disciples is they didn't have Jesus or the Holy Spirit yet. They needed a first blessing. Because the first blessing is the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth. The the blessing of the gospel is faith in Jesus Christ and the giving of the Spirit to all who believe at that very moment. That's good news for you. And it, it, it essentially means this, friends. It means that the power that was given to these disciples when the Holy Spirit descended upon them in this little mini Pentecost event is now yours through faith in Christ Jesus. And the question for you is really this. Friends, have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? And so in that moment, have you received the promised spirit? Have you fixed your hearts and hope on a divine, risen, glorified Savior? A Savior who is presented in the book of Acts, who has imparted spiritual power to his people by pouring out the Holy Spirit. Is this the Savior you believed in? Or are you still stuck and waiting for a Savior of your own expectations? You see, the Savior has come. He's been proclaimed. We're not waiting on him anymore, except we're waiting for him to come back a second time. And this Savior changes everything. He gives us the forgiveness of sins through his death, through his resurrection. He gives us power, Pentecostal power, to say no to sin and yes to righteousness and to share his message of salvation to a lost world. So let's join in on the, on the momentum here in the book of Acts. I'm excited to see what the Spirit is doing next and how he is instructing us. We'll see more of that next week as we lean into the ministry, the Spirit-empowered ministry in Ephesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning stuck in different ways Maybe, Lord, we are stuck in our knowledge. We're stunted and we only see the Savior to a certain point. Or perhaps, Lord, we're stuck because we believe in a promised Savior, but we're struggling to believe that Jesus is that promised Savior and all that is said of him is what we ought to believe. Lord, wherever we're stuck, wherever we're struggling, wherever we fall short of a full conviction of of the powerful Savior presented in the book of Acts, we pray, Lord, that you would bring us along, that you would give us the childlike eagerness of Apollos to receive all that your word says. And then, Lord, give us that Pentecostal power that you bestowed upon the Ephesian dozen so that we, too, would know of Christ, would know of his spirit, and would share in that spirit so that we are not waiting, not wondering when you're going to give us strength, but really in full possession of it. And Lord, we know that we can only do this if we believe on Christ, the Savior. Help us to look to him 
as the one who, who gives us all that we need and gives us all that we need when we believe and continues to strengthen us through continual belief in his name. Lord, strengthen our belief in the Savior this morning, we pray. For the year ahead, we need it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.